I keep saying all right and then doing the introduction and chopping off the all right. Oh, the all right, yeah. Um, but it does give me a, like a, all right, let's get on with it kind of thing that I can then bounce off. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast about music hosted by myself, Rich Newnham, and my co-host, Mr. Henry Salmon. Welcome to another episode of I Might Be Wrong. I have, as usual, my co-host, Mr. Henry Salmon. Hello. I am Mr. Richard Newnham, and we, this week, have a guest with us. My friend, Terry Owen. Hi, Terry. Hi. Who is... One of my oldest school friends, we've known each other since we were what, 11, 12 years old. 12, I think, yeah. And we were fortunate enough to have Terry write us the intro music for our podcast, which he was very kind to do. Pleasure. So, welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And so, we're doing, I guess, not really a special episode in terms of content, because we're doing the exact same thing we always do, which is to pick an artist, pick an album, and then chat about it. But this week, we have decided to let Terry make that decision. So, Terry... Who have you picked? I've chosen The Prodigy. Um, which Ooh. album? Uh, I've chosen The Experience, which... because it's the first album that I got into, and yeah. I think it's pretty common for most people. If they like an artist, generally the first album they get by that artist tends to be their favourite, or at least holds a special place in their heart. That That's fair enough, yeah. and, and to be fair, that's why, for me, Jilted Generation is, is that album for me, but that's yeah. because you threw that album at me when I was about 15, I guess. A bit younger. 14 or 15. Like and 94. So you would have been... Uh, would but have I might not have given it to you the year it came out. You yeah. didn't. A friend of mine actually tried to play it for me a couple of years before you did. And I was like, what the hell is this noise? I don't like it. My ears hurt. <laughs> and then by the time you played it for me and lent me lent me a, a bootleg cassette mm. of it, I was actually at the point where I was, I think, more ready to, to experience yeah. that stuff. So for your experience, is that something that came about as... You were listening to other things that were like that, or was no. it? No, the experience. Well, I heard um, Outer Space, the first, and it, the first piece of, I guess, purely electronic music that I had heard for mm-hmm. the sake of just being electronic, not being a pop track with kind of you know, electro beats and electro beats and stuff like that. It was purely electronic, and it kind of blew my mind. And I just needed to explore more. I was living in Asia at the time, and my family moved over. Shortly after the experience came out, one yep. of the first things I did when I came here was ask my parents to, to buy me the album. And I listened to it religiously. So experience would have come out in 91, I guess? 90, something like that. Yeah. So you'd have been, what, eight years old at that point? No, I think it came out later. I would have been about 10 years old, I think. 10 or 11 years old. Okay. So still pretty young to... Yeah. And you know, very, very eclectic Asia, tastes. I had, I had from... no idea of the cultural reference of the album. I had known right. knew nothing about the rave culture. I knew nothing about clubbing and about you know the, the M25 rave circuit. And I didn't know right. anything about that. I just heard the music and loved it. Because Outer Space is a bit interesting in itself because it isn't just pure rave music. It suddenly mm. cuts into this. Reggae, reggae type thing. Yeah. thing, which is weird, and and it just bounces along there for a little bit, and you you sit there thinking, what the hell is going on? And then it's straight back into. I have no idea what that sample is. 
It's yeah. it's natural sample. It's um, yeah, it is. out yeah. of space is a. I think it's not Bob Marley, but it's one of the bigger reggae artists from like the seventies. I think because yeah, I went I went down that rabbit hole at some point yeah. I'm and found that it. Rabbit hole now. <laughs> there, <laughs> are some that there are some fantastic. There are some fantastic YouTube videos of people recreating tracks. Okay, and I think there's one person who's recreated quite a few. Um, prodigy tracks so from he the samples you all the samples oh wow and all the kind of synths that were used and you often you can get emulators on, mm -hmm. on sort of uh, production software suites uh, to emulate all the same synthesizers that Liam Howler would have used in the production wow it's that's absolutely really cool. amazing to see someone layer it and build it from scratch because I guess yeah. I guess experience would have been I mean he's talked about it as being a heavily bedroom based thing in terms yeah. of him producing it in the first place I'm assuming yeah. that you know, it's the, it's the debut for the Prodigy, and I can't imagine he had a ton of money to spend on synths, so it would have been consumer-end stuff that he'd have been using for that. Interestingly, I think that the Prodigy actually named themselves after a synth that was called the Prodigy. Really? I think ah. they named themselves after the synth, the primary synth that he was using to create music. And that would have been, uh, like I say, presumably stuff that was affordable rather than thousands of pounds worth of studio Probably. equipment yeah yeah because that's the thing like a lot of that particularly the experience is heavily heavily sample based mm. and and very quirky and a bit all over the place but not in a bad way i mean like in ideas perspective yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on that he's dragging in there and on the experience especially there are shifts between sections of the track quite frequently yeah. Less so on Jilted Generation and later tracks. I've, it's quite frantic in the way that it kind of develops and builds and interchanges, mixes, mixing different layers of the track yeah. together. Also, samplers back then could only really record very short amounts of time, so you had to be quite creative with using shorter samples and how right. you kind of um, how you sequence them in, in a track. Because they sample um, like one of the songs is Charlie. Yeah, yeah. And they're sampling <laughs> like isn't that a children's TV? It's for Bagpuss. Yeah, yeah. It's for Bagpuss, wasn't it? No, I think, think it was no, a public service announcement thing oh, for was kids it? on TV, um, teaching kids not to run into roads and stuff. Uh, so, Charlie yeah. says, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I sort of vaguely remember the animated... Yeah. The animated cat? It was cat. a cat, yeah. But yeah, so it kind of shows you the lengths that they're... Not many people would think, oh yeah, obviously that. A uh, road safety <laughs> animated cat is clearly going to make us millions by <laughs> selling arms. That's well, the joy of sampling. I love sampling. I, I produce music as well, and I love sampling because you can take something and put it in a completely different context, and it changes how you think about that section. Yeah. And sometimes if you've sampled something from a record and you've only listened to that record once, it's not something that you know well, and then you're creating a track with that sample, and you go back to listen to the original record, which you took that sample from, and it, it, it feels like a completely different alien thing. I was listening to six music as I do on my drive home every day. And on Friday, someone had phoned in and they said they cannot listen to, uh, if they've got music with a sample in, they then have to play the song that was the okay. sample came from. Mm. And so all of their playlists have this kind of uh, new song, <laughs> then old song sample. So, um, yeah, um, uh, that's, that's pretty full on in the sampling world. But yeah. It's funny because I was listening to a track that I haven't listened to for a number of years I, you know how you occasionally fall down these YouTube rabbit holes? Yeah, always. So I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole driven heavily by P. 
people doing mashups. So it's the classic mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, Jackson Five, sorry, and uh, Nirvana, Nevermind. Mm-hmm. So Rock and Robin smashed up with Nevermind and things like that. that fun, fun things that really shouldn't work together and do. And Prodigy actually is one. And Prodigy Enya one is worth a listen. Oh, I don't know. It's <laughs> genuine, genuinely works well. Maybe not for a Prodigy fan. Is it? <laughs> no, because I am a Prodigy fan, and and I it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, it's going to be awful, and then you listen to it, it's like. Huh, somebody's actually done a decent job of this. With those mashups, I've never enjoyed the track that's created, but I can find the blending of the two tracks, the mix of the two tracks, interesting. It's an interesting experiment, but I'm not really sure I like the results of any of them. That That's fair. I think from my perspective, it's the joy of something completely unexpectedly working from things that are so disparate so it's always Mm. i'm never bothered about a mashup of two songs that are very similar genres it's always things that are totally left field being smashed together and somehow working even though it really shouldn't that's the thing that i enjoy out of it certainly anyway where i was going with this was end up falling down one of these and ending up listening to uh utah saints Something Good 08 remix, mm-hmm. yep. which is an absolute belter of a track and has a brilliant video. It's the Running Man video from the guy in Wales. It's like nothing yeah, I've right. ever seen, kind of. what I can't remember the exact thing. It's a, it's a fantastic video, but it uses the sample of Something Good Is Gonna Happen. comes from a Kate Bush track called Cloudburst, I think, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I heard that for the first time not too long ago, and it was like, "What? What? This is Kate Bush. Yeah. She's, she, that's where the song comes from." So. And and it shouldn't work. And the Kate Bush song is so very different from the Utah Saints yeah. song that they saw. I, I guess from my perspective, what I really enjoy about it is is that someone has come up with an idea of how to use this sample. There's a leap of creativity that is just way beyond anything I think I'm personally capable of. And so I really enjoy that creativity from someone else's creation. And that's that's part of the enjoyment for me. And certainly experience has a lot of it. Jilted Generation, which I love as an album, has a decent chunk of it as well. Mm. Um, it's I think not quite you're as quirky. Right, where it falls off is Fat of the Land. Yeah. Where he's doing more of his own stuff and Keith starts doing actual lyrics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think with Fat of the Land, they were in their transition to wanting to be a punk band. Right. Yeah. I think there was a lot more inclusion of guitars, not just samples of guitars, well, yeah. like they used in the past, but getting actual kind of session musicians to, re- to record guitars. Same with drums. I'm sure yeah. quite a lot of those tracks have uh, live drums on. And the people that they collaborated with. Uh, who was that guy from Kuna Shaker? They did that song with uh, Ryan. Yes, I know who you mean. Uh, uh, what he was he was really posh, wasn't he? He had a yeah. yeah um, Crispin sounds right. He had a. Um, I think he basically was was really really loaded and just thought I just want to I can do anything I like. So I'm going to be a. <laughs> actually, he was a really good guitar player. Crispin Mills. Crispin Mills. Crispin Mills. Well done. Yeah. The there's certainly there's certainly an element of. I mean, I don't dislike that album. Um, I don't rate it. I, I certainly, from my perspective, it's experience and Jilted Generation are the two that are I agree. genuinely wonderfully creative. Fat of the Land is great to listen to if you're in the right mood and you just mm-hmm. want to listen to something that's loud and aggressive and dancey and upbeat and energetic. Yeah. My cousin came over from Australia and 
we were in the first week he arrived, we watched Top of the Pops and Firestarter had just gone to number one. Mm. And it blew his mind. He was like, what is going on in the British charts when you've got this? Because, you, you know, the, the, the video is kind yeah. of black yeah. and white. And, yeah, um, in that tunnel. Yeah. yeah. And, and a he's very just, aggressive, very anti-authoritarian yeah. kind Which of received approach. an awful lot of complaints with Ofcom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. Because, it because it was so... But it's weird because I don't like Firestarter because I, like I don't it. think it's a particularly inventive piece of music. Yeah, I think there's other I think stuff it's just that's a really good album. I think it's just a really, really yeah. good riff, and it's really nicely produced, and the bass is lovely and warm, but also in your face. I think it's a great track. I prefer it to breathe. I think it's my favorite track on Fat of the Land, actually. I don't it's prefer classic. it to breathe, but I don't. I don't think breathe is that much. Better a track, if that makes sense, if that's even grammatically <laughs> correct in any way, shape, or form. I think I prefer things like Minefields on there. I think that's more my more my speed on there. Your that. Irv. <laughs> <laughs> Your <medium>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think. And despite the misogynistic title, I like Smack My Bitch Up a, a lot. Track. Just like Firestarter, it's just a brilliantly produced, loud track. I think True. what I've noticed just now is that tracks on Joseph Generation are a lot more introspective. They're a little bit more kind of insular in the way that they're created, whereas tracks on Fat of the Land maybe experience a little bit more brash, a little bit more out there, a little bit more... That's really interesting. Cultural, social, Because I couldn't, I couldn't get into Jilted Generation. Yeah. And that's the one album of the three that we've talked about so far where I just... I kind of struggled to work out what it was about and I, okay. I think I think you might be right it's um, um, it is that brashness that I think that's in my head that's what the Prodigy are all about so if I go, okay. if I go and put them on and listen to them it's because I want that loud brash yeah. music see to me I think there's still loud brashness on Jilted Generation because because it's moved more than, I mean Terry and I were having a chat pre-podcast about this to me <laughs> <laughs> to me it feels like experience is very rave culture, ecstasy and acid fueled mm -hmm. approach to life where it's Very kind up. of trippy yeah. and upbeat and happy, but in a weird, slightly fucked up way. Mm. Whereas Jilted Generation is much more angry and almost alcohol, booze and coke and Jilted speed Jilted Generation? Fuel. I'm not sure Jilted Generation is that. I think Jilted Generation is a bit more of a stoner album. Maybe. And I but think, stuff I think like, it's Fat of the Land where it becomes a bit more kind of lager, lager, tits, shouting sort of... Yeah, that's fair. Rashness. Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, that's true. That's probably, certainly from a kind of coke-fueled perspective, it definitely feels like that's more of the loud, angry, aggressive mm. side of things. It's kind of quite industrial, Fat of the Land. It's, it, it's quite... Um, it is. I think, I think, as you said, it's the way it's produced. They've, mm. they've gone all... Guitar-y, <laughs> rocky sort of stuff, yeah. But it's it's also a sort of a forerunner to a lot of the bands that went the other way in the kind of early to mid noughties of being a heavy rock band suddenly yeah. bringing in more electronica yeah. into your yeah. music. Or like Pitch Shifter and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like those kind of bands seem to have taken a lot of influence from the Prodigy. Mm. And Which do you almost... think has been more successful? Electronica moving into guitar music or guitar music moving into electronic? I think... The problem is that you're asking an indie kid that question. So <laughs> from my perspective, there's certainly a lot more... I've seen more and more indie bands 
bring electronic elements into their music. We talked yeah. about this when we talked about the yeah. Shins, where Broken Bells is his combination thing with DJ Danger Mouse, and that's much more electronic, and that that has leaked back into Shins' albums, where the Shins almost are sounding more and more like Broken Bells over the last couple of albums. Certainly there's an influence there. I think that electronic music has always used guitars in some way, shape or form, even if it's just clips and mm. and Single things hits. that they've thrown yeah. into the music because it's just another sample. Yeah. I think that indie has been influenced to take on more broad spectrum of, of instrumental things that they can do in their music. Sure. There's not many indie bands now that are still pure. I mean, there are plenty that are still pure guitars and drums, but the more successful ones have other stuff in there as well. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of how I feel about those things. I don't think it does answer my question. Are you saying that <laughs> it is more successful? <laughs> it's not good enough. It's it is more successful when indie bands and rock bands introduce electronics. I personally think it is. I think I think the thing is I think there's much more of a grey area. I don't think there's such a distinct. You know, it's not like Prodigy doing their thing in the mid '90s. So you you talk about. Experience came out in 92 and Jilted Generation came out in 94 and at the same time you've got Oasis releasing Definitely Maybe uh, in 93 I think, something like that, 92, 93. So So you've got those very distinct camps of rave culture and electronica way over here doing their thing and indie doing Oasis versus Blur and pulp doing very very guitar centric stuff yeah. and almost nothing in between whereas now i feel like almost everything is in between there's very there's very little at least on the rock and indie side well, of pure inter- guitar I until you go into was, heavy rock there was a little phase in the uk at least of electronic music and indie music meeting with the sort of manchester scene with like the stone roses and that sort of thing that was kind of where yeah, clubbing true. crossed over with bands so maybe it's something that kind of goes in phases. But again, I still feel like a lot of the Manchester scene was people taking a lot of the guitar music and mixing it into club scene electronica okay. and dance music. Yeah, I don't know that I would consider the Stone Roses to be particularly a dance music band. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about I that. I think it depends I might on be how wrong. you consume it. If yeah. you consume it at home on vinyl as just a listener, you might not do. But if you were in Manchester in the late 80s and early 90s and you were going to clubs and they were yeah. playing the music and you were dancing and probably popping pills as well, yeah. then it is definitely a clubbing music but, experience. But it's not electronic. It's guitar band music that fits in with electronic But it echoes sounds. the way that people produce electronic tracks yeah. by having loops yes. kind of 8, 16 bar repetitive phrases, extended 8 or 12 minute long tracks, which are kind of like you know extended club mixes. Yeah, you wouldn't see Noel Gallagher putting in a loop of Charlie, though, would you? The thing about that is that I think, I think a lot of those indie bands got drawn towards the electronic scene. Yeah. So you've got uh, Noel Gallagher guesting on Chemical Brothers. You've got True, Blur yeah. becoming much more electronica slash world music as Damon Albarn yeah. kind of starts to experiment with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about Blur. I think it's happened a lot. Because yeah. punk evolved into kind of new romantic as well. So that I, there's kind of been 
lots of different generations that have taken electronic elements and incorporated them into their yeah. kind of more band focused. Maybe projects. maybe it's just me being narrow minded and thinking purely about the the time when I grew up and the kind of those natural to do that. Yeah, yeah. that that formative yeah. point of my life where I got into the guitar bands and then you know became more aware of electronica and then kind of the two started to blend more and more in my tastes. Mm. Well, that's how it works, isn't it? The first the first albums that you hear are often the ones that stick with you just because they're they really are quite formative. Yeah. Going back to your question, your thoughts are, you think electronica has leaked more into indie with success? Yes, I think so. Well, we were talking, we've talked before about kind of the death of indie and the death of guitar bands. And uh, I think it's, if you look at where, where modern music is, is going, bands that would be considered truly indie a long time ago are just using electronica. As, as, like you look at, I don't know, Vampire Weekend or someone like that, all the shit, as we've said, they're all doing it. They're all just, they're not sticking to a, a couple of guitars or at least the successful ones don't seem to be. I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think where you've still got more pure, pure guitar bands is in the heavier end of rock. So either hard rock or heavy metal where a lot of, and a lot of those bands are using electronica as well, but I think there's definitely a, a very staunch defence from their from certain people in that genre's perspective of we are a guitar band. Yeah. We do guitars, yeah. we do drums, yeah. we have a bass, yeah. that's it. And that's all they do. And there are, you know, I, I went to a festival called Arc Tangent last year, which mm. is technically it's a math rock festival, but it's math and post-rock and heavy yeah. metal and all sorts of stuff in that kind of harder rock genre. Mm -hmm. But that all kind of, to me... Like there's a lot of stuff in there that is very, very staunchly old school rock still. Okay. There are people doing electronica in, in yeah. those bands as you know, in some of those bands, but mm. a lot of them are not. Yeah. So I wonder whether it's more just Indian rock ran out of ideas and decided to start doing electronic because mm. it's a way of bringing more interesting things into the music. It's got me trying to think of other acts who have taken the other route, going from mostly electronic into a more kind of band setting. I'm struggling. Well, probably a one that's a very clear, you know, shift into more guitar and yeah. incorporating that stuff, like like you said earlier mm -hmm. on in in the conversation. I can't think of many big artists, but I can think of lots of kind of experimental bedroom producers yeah. who very often feature live musicians yeah. featuring on their tracks. So I think I think you're right. I think what's interesting, and I actually made a comment when we were talking about left field a few episodes back. I made a comment that I was very, very careful to try not to be disparaging towards electronic music because I love electronic music, but to say that it's much easier for a kid with a laptop in their bedroom to dick around with electronica because you can set up a drum loop, and I'm once you set the terrible. drum loop up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> But once you have that drum loop going, you know it's under control. You don't have some, you know, 14-year-old, you know, you're a bunch of 14-year-olds and your drummer mate can't keep the beat. Yeah. Sure. You okay. know, there's, there's yeah. certain things you have a greater element of control over what you're doing that you know it will do what you want it to do when you've programmed it. That's Even if exactly how I like making music. Right. Until my late 20s, I was always just a, a solo bedroom producer because I liked having total control over yeah. everything. 
I'm glad that I did get into being into, into bands because it really opened up my my ears to mm-hmm. a lot yeah. more sounds. And it is interesting when you get a group of people together who do come from different musical backgrounds who then create mm-hmm. something new together. Yeah, because if you watch, um, you look at people like, uh, I don't know, Andrew Bird or Katie Tunstall, they, they're well into their loops and, and they'll, they're, they're pure guitarists and they, they wouldn't be seen to be, they wouldn't think they're an electronic artist, but they'll get these loops going and and they'll build music off the back of that. So yeah. there's, and I guess that's just technology being accessible now. You can do that. Yeah. You can, yeah. you can create an album in your bedroom. Well, I think Katie Tunstall is a great example because she was one of the, one of the very first artists that I ever saw and not live, but on some TV show where she set up all of the loops for Black Horse and the Cherry Tree. Yeah, just just working through all of the loops on on a on a on a pedal to just set everything up. So she had this loop pedal and six or seven layers of yeah. different things of her tapping the guitar, playing a particular thing, doing a kind of ooh vocal on there yeah. and just setting up so she could then play the rest of the track through the way she wanted to and I was like holy shit I did not even know that was possible I think that's the thing the technology has changed how people can make music and I think the technology has also brought people who come from a purely electronic production background people who are kind of more band with pedals background yeah. it kind of marries the two together and so the yeah. music that people are able to able to produce now in their bedrooms crosses the line between electronic and band music a lot more I think but I do think with you know with all the software that you can use on on a laptop it's it's much easier to produce something that is a basic electronic track it might sound terrible to you and I but it's easy enough to produce that and then to be able to play it over whenever you want to Mm. whereas if you're a guitar band starting from scratch you you have to have some level of Spending time getting yeah. at least half decent on a guitar, on the drums, yeah. whatever it happens yeah. to be. And then being able to communicate together as a band. Exactly. Well, yeah. unless you're the Sex Pistols and then it's just like chaos. And it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're doing. But, but you, you're, you're in a kind of, not a unique position, but you, you can understand both sides of it. Because as, as someone who is a classically trained musician as well, the fact that you play trombone mm. to a very proficient level yeah. means that you... <laughs> <laughs> to, to the average person okay, you, you, yeah. you sound like you know what you're doing Thank you. you you're someone that has both mastered an instrument and used again mastered mm. elect- <laughs> I've seen you play you, you, okay. you're pretty decent anyway but you understand the skill level that goes into learning an instrument sure. versus yes. dicking around with a sound also board the or skill whatever level that goes into learning how to produce learning how to get a a hold of your software, absolutely. not just relying on plugins and fancy effects. A lot of people, I think, spend an awful lot of money on technology, but don't actually produce anything inventive. But you still have to have that creativity. Oh, you still have to be inventive. Um, I, I quite like to be minimalist in the software and the hardware that I use, mm. because I don't feel constrained by a minimal setup. Yes. To blow my own trumpet, I've got fantastic ideas. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's the thing, I think if you look at any creative art, the fact that there are more and more people with disposable income who are interested in an art means that you get more and more people spending lots of money on that art form without necessarily having any level of skill. 
because yeah. they want to try and get good at it, but there's no innate talent there. Yeah. And so they just throw money at it and buy more and bigger, more expensive things to try and get good. And I think intention is something as well. Lots of people aspire now to be DJs and music producers and stuff like that. So they think if they put a lot of money into it, then they'll they'll reach that goal. Yeah. But you've really got to go into it because you want to create music. Because Absolutely. you've got some ideas that you want to put across and that you want to stand out a little bit. But with with the the prodigy, especially kind of in their, their later years, they they do sound um, more. Um, they are so much better produced. Mm. And do you think they? That's just because they've got the cash, or have they got different ideas? Because I think it's probably because maybe more people are involved in it. Yeah, I know that the Prodigy's first ever release was an EP on XL Records, "What Evil Lurks." And all of those four tracks were literally just off the demo that they sent to the record label. There was no additional work wow. done to them. Later tracks, I'm sure they had loads of different mastering engineers, mixing engineers. They, they were able to afford a proper studio and to pay for session musicians to come in. Yeah. I don't think, at least with the, the group that we have in the room, I don't think it would be too controversial to say that the more produced they've got, the less inventive they've got. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm certainly less impressed by the second half of their back catalogue than yeah, I was the too. first. But um, I feel the same with a lot of artists. Yeah, yeah that's true. There's, it's hard to find artists that continue to evolve and do new stuff with every album. I mean, we, we again, going back to the shins, we talked about the fact that we were impressed with every release that we've heard from him. That's true. But I wonder whether if you're a, I don't know, if you're a 13-year-old sitting in your bedroom and you hear, or he's outnumbered, never outgunned for the first time, then does that sonically go, oh my God, what is this piece of music? And do you, would, would someone react in the way that we reacted to the, these old Prodigy albums mm. in the same way? Probably, but I wonder whether I'm a little bit envious of them because <laughs> yes. they've got so much better Prodigy to explore and discover <laughs> once they've got into that. I mean, it's it's a bit of a gateway, I guess, to to the better albums, but Outnumbered Outgun to me is... I I was bored with it very quickly because it didn't sound like there was any new ideas and material it just almost felt like a reimagining of um fat of the land or all the all the ideas they had from fat of the land the one album that i do genuinely enjoy and have listened to a lot in that kind of second half of their career is uh, invaders must die but part of that is because they've gone back to the well of ideas that they had from experience and jilted generation there's a lot more of that quirky odd sampling stuff going on and so that, that to me is makes it worth listening to. And there's a couple of tracks I'm trying to think in particular. There's um, there's a couple of tracks on there that I that I really do like a lot and would put up there with some of the better some of the better prodigy tracks. And certainly in terms of "Take Me to the Hospital" and "Warriors Dance" are very much jilted generation. A little bit of experience in there. I don't know if you I'm have either of you really listened to them I'm much. I'm really unfamiliar with late apology albums. It, I've been playing those you a couple was, of tracks. <laughs> I was completely obsessed with for maybe about six or seven years. And then as their albums went on, I liked them less and less. They literally just fell off my radar. Just I, fell off the cliff. I have a similar <laughs> similar relationship with Block Party where the first Block Party album was 
so good and so in the wheelhouse of what I wanted to be listening to yeah. and every album after that moved further and further away from it that it was just like guys can we can we, can we just go back to what you were doing like that was great do more of that I will forever love the prodigy for getting me into electronic music yeah. in the first place because until my early 20s I pretty much exclusively only listened to electronic music right. they moved me into things like Underworld Chemical Brothers Aphex Twin and the whole Warp Records thing yeah they opened my ears to a lot of music that I was going to love and that would kind of be my identity draw throughout my teen years. And I love that you've brought it there because that's kind of where we wanted to go next in terms of things to talk about is, is the artists that you, the influence that they brought and the artists that they brought you onto. And certainly I'm, I'm with you on that. Things like Chemical Brothers in particular, yeah. Aphex Twin, although I was probably late to the game on them as well because they're a bit out there for mm. some of my tastes at least in my early 20s but yeah there's a lot of amazing electronic bands that have that weird out there thing to them yeah. so i'm glad that you mentioned those because there's definitely some mm. great stuff to dig into there yeah from, from school that there was definitely a crowd that went from the prodigy off into and, and actually the prodigy at our school was massive so they were we had a sixth form and there was a CD player with a queue of people that would line up and once one CD had finished, the next one would go on and you respect that CD. And that, CD is, <laughs> that CD plays, even if it's, uh, I don't know, Shakira or something, it just, it, you get through it. And yeah. then, but the, the Prodigy was, was always on there. And, and I think that, that captured a lot of the people in, in Somerset. Um, it captured their imagination. But, and obviously, because we're from Somerset, you end up listening to a lot of the Bristol bands. And I think a few people, me included, went off into that kind of trip hop Bristol sure. scene, yeah. which became, which was pretty big, pretty soon after that. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool. You ever seen them live? Once, Reading Festival, nineteen ninety nine. Nice. That's a good time to catch yeah, them as well. Yeah, a good time. Yeah. Was, so that would have been Firestarter, Fat of the Land. Yeah. yeah. So they were still doing some of their older tracks, and then it was the last album that I really kind of took any interest in. So yeah, it was a good time. And kind it, of a good send off. And it means that you get Keith Flint. Prowling the stage, doing his lyrics, yeah, you get yeah, you get the, the guys. Yeah, and and I I've, I've seen them. I saw them a few years after that, actually at Leeds Festival. So part of the Reading Leeds Festival family. Mm. And I remember uh, slacking off my bar staffing duties to go and see them because there were maybe like eight people wanting to get served at any given point in time. So <laughs> yeah, so we so we we disappeared off into the crowd and snuck out and got away with it. And I just remember being blown away by how much energy you were getting from those those three guys at the front of the stage, mm. but also how much it just looked like Liam was dicking around in his bedroom. Yeah, as bedroom work, producers yeah. like to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to work out who I who I decided to see instead of the McLastonbury because they oh, were headlining mate. one of the stages in '99, I think. And I just I went to see someone else. I, I think I was very much an energy kid then. Like, oh yeah, I mean, not you, you did, in... you've said before that you didn't really get into electronica until way later in your. Uh... I kind of went back to. It. I realised what all my friends were listening to, I, and I, I'd run away from it, and then it took a few years, and then I thought actually. I think the fact that you can't remember what band you went to see instead of the <laughs> means that you made the wrong choice. I knew they were, I just knew they were playing elsewhere. Who did I go and see? To, to be fair, you can remember the band that you didn't see, but I you can't remember the band that you saw. Well, it, I was going to say that they clashed with Radiohead, but that was '97, not '99. I would have chosen Radiohead even back then, even though I was an electronic boy. I think I would have chosen I would, Radiohead. I would. I would be very. That would have been one of those Sophie's Choice type mm -hmm. festival sure. clashes for me because I uh, both are incredible artists and 
the energy you get from Prodigy is I I know what happened (laughs) this was in this was 97 and I only got in on the Sunday and they were headlining Saturday so I didn't Uh, see them okay so So it's all okay it's not my fault (laughs) but you've never seen them no because I just knew that my friends were there and I wasn't so that's why fair enough cool well I think we will wrap it up there thanks for joining us Terry it's been really fascinating Really great to hear your point of view. Firstly, as the person that introduced me to the Prodigy, but also as someone who is much more in the production and creation of, of music. <laughs> I was going to say someone with actual knowledge. Right? <laughs> just, just talking rubbish for, for half an hour. So for anyone who has been listening, has been interested in what you've been saying, where can they find you in terms of the actual music that you create? Uh, I solo produce music under the name Tito, which is T-T-O-E. And I'm in a band called Jilk. We're all over Spotify and Apple Music and whatever you use. And I also play with uh, an improv band in Bristol called Domestic Sound Covered, and we host a monthly night called The Sound Covered on on Stokescroft every last Wednesday of the month. And it's great. I have been along. So if you are a Bristol-based person who can get there, get there. It's good fun. It's really something very different and very cool. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Cool. Pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.